Hey everyone, this is Andrew and you're listening to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. As always, it is a privilege and honor to spend time with you. We're stepping into another week in our survey through the book of James. Before I send you off to our teaching from this week, I just wanna remind you that the beating heart of our church is to ignite a deep hunger and longing for the presence of Jesus in our lives, in your life. And as a church, we have just kind of noticed a pattern. We've recognized three essential things that Jesus um, lived into in his own life that seem to have um, deeply contributed to his own ability to cultivate a deep hunger and longing for the presence of the Father. And the first was um, bringing his life under scripture. That is an essential um, mechanism for us in developing a, a, a greater hunger and longing for the presence of Jesus. And so we wanna call you and challenge you, challenge ourselves, challenge you, to continue to immerse your life in scripture, not just as a, a mechanism of academic study, but um, by meditating on it, studying it, reading it, um, hearing it. You know, there's lots of different ways we can interact with scripture, but um, that is an essential part of, of cultivating a hunger and longing for Jesus. And so we wanna just continue to call you to that in your life. Are you immersing your life in scripture? Are you humbling yourself under scripture and asking for the Holy Spirit to shape and form and correct and challenge you through it? Or are you standing over it, wishing to master it and dominate it and impose on it your um, your worldview, your perspective, your sort of um, right now cultural understanding. So um, I wanna call you to that and challenge you to that. Number two, dominant characteristic we see in the life of Jesus is that he engaged in regular rhythms of spiritual practices. These were the place where he cultivated um, a deep hunger and longing for the presence of the Father. So a reading scripture was one of those, coming under scripture was one of those, but Jesus engaged in practices of um, solitude, fasting, prayer, um, generosity. There's a whole bunch of other practices. And um, these are essential in our life if we wanna cultivate a hunger and longing for Jesus and his presence. Um, and number three, primary characteristic of Jesus's life is he lived with a dependency on the Holy Spirit's gifting and power. And we're not only called to bring our lives under scripture and to engage in regular rhythms of spiritual practice, but we're called to learn in increasing ways to act on and depend on the Holy Spirit's voice, his direction to live in step with him and to um, respond in obedience, in faith. 
And we do that by um, stepping out in dependence on him and beginning to exercise spiritual gifts. We're gonna be talking about spiritual gifts after Easter as a church, but I wanna just encourage you uh, with these things that uh, growth and depth in our lives spiritually, cultivating and igniting and provoking a deep hunger and longing like a soul quenching, like the deepest desires of your life, in order to do that, you need to engage in the things that Jesus himself engaged in. And our heart as a church is to just walk with you and continue to challenge you, exhort you. And so these messages are part of that. They're coming under scripture, under teaching as a way to provoke and ignite a deep hunger and longing for Jesus in you. But I wanna call you to those other two mechanisms that Jesus used as well. So anyway, that's enough rambling from me. Um, arguably, depending on what you think of this message, um, you're gonna hear lots more rambling. <laughs> so I will uh, let you go from here. This is the next part in our overview of the book of James. I'll talk to you soon. We are working our way through James. And um, as we have been doing, uh, at every part of this uh, series, in a few minutes, we're gonna read um, this section out loud. And uh, the reason that we do that, uh, number one, is scripture was meant to be heard, not just kind of read on a page. It was meant to be heard. And the first hearers of scripture, um, they weren't walking around with Bibles under their arms. They would have had to have like 30 scrolls probably under their arms. So they weren't walking around with that. They would come uh, into um, a gathering like this and they would hear God's word spoken over them. And um, so we actually wanna recapture a little bit of that as we come together, we wanna hear together uh, what God says in his word. Just uh, a, a reminder um, before we read today's passage that James is writing to um, what we would today call Messianic Jews. He was writing to his own community. James was Jewish. We don't know exactly who the James was that wrote James, but um, kind of the largest consensus is that this is Jesus's brother. And so he grew up in a Jewish environment um, and he's writing to his friends, his community. He's writing to Jewish Christians that have now been scattered all throughout the Roman Empire because of the persecution of Rome. And so he's writing to these people from a pastoral point of view. These are his friends. These are his community members. And he's got a deep heart pastorally for them. He's trying to encourage them. He's trying to exhort them. And more than anything, he's trying to challenge them with how to live out what they believe in a culture that is aggressively against the values of the kingdom of God. So James is trying to exhort them and encourage them like this is how you can actually walk this out in the midst of your neighborhood, wherever you find yourself, in your real life, in your everyday life. 
And so that's what James is doing. If you have your little uh, James scripture journal, amazing, you get bonus points for that today. Um, you can open it to James 3. I'm going to invite Cliff, where, there he is, Cliff to come up. And uh, Cliff is uh, one of our parking crew, and he does actually a bunch of stuff. He's going to be involved in Alpha when we launch that later on, I think, right? My, you guys rolled your eyes, so maybe I just got that wrong. Just scratch that, never mind. You only believe about half of what comes out of my mouth when it comes to announcements about things. <laughs> so anyway, I'll stop talking. Cliff, you could read uh, James 3, 13 and on. All right, thank you. True wisdom from God. If you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you're bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For everywhere there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Awesome. Thanks, Cliff. I forgot to get you guys a stand. Oh, should I do it now just for the sake of it? No, I won't. Okay. I'm getting the no up here. All right, so last week um, we ended in the first section of chapter three. Now, one of the things that um, makes studying books of scripture challenging is when these were written, they weren't written with chapters and verses. So sometimes these chapter breaks can uh, lead us to think that James is about to move on to a different uh, you know, subject matter when in fact he's not. So this scripture that we read connects back to the beginning of chapter three, but it also continues through chapter four. So we're in a little bit of a, a longer continuous thought from James. And last week, as James was um, sort of pastoring us and teaching us about the tongue, the power of the tongue, um, unhealthy and destructive speech patterns, James talked about where James landed uh, in our passage from last week was in this spot that is super important for us as we look at the book of James. And James is not just simply saying, be more disciplined with what you say. He's not simply saying that. He is saying that, but it's just not a matter of sheer willpower. He's actually at the uh, midway point of chapter three, he's saying, look, the issue is not just external discipline working really hard to keep your mouth shut. That's probably a good starting point for us, but James is not ending there. He's saying, what you need to do is you need to get to the source. Why is your mouth so destructive? Why is it like a, uh, you know, a spark that lights a forest on fire? Why are your words kind of filled with bitter poison? The issue for James is not just in being disciplined externally. The issue that James is driving to is a heart issue. 
And so James ends our section from last week with two sort of examples. One, he says, can uh, a fresh water spring produce both fresh water and bitter water at the same time? And the answer is no. Any amount of bitter water will dilute the fresh water and taint it. And then he goes on to say, you know, can you get grapes from an olive tree? And can you get olives from a grape bush or whatever? He's saying, no, no, you, you can't. They're, the source of the thing is the issue. And he continues that in this section here as he walks with us through um, these next verses. He's not focused on external behavior only. And he's not asking you to enter into this rigid, legalistic, behavioral uh, management program. James is not here focused on sin management. So much of our Christian life is almost exclusively focused on just managing sin. That's not where James is going. He's driving to a deeper place. And what he's asking is what, what is taking place in the thought patterns of your life? How is your tongue, which doesn't just exist in the natural realm, but carries a supernatural component to it. That's what James says. How is your tongue in the areas of your thinking patterns? How is that actually destroying your heart? filling your heart with bitterness. Jesus said it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So where James went last week, and you can listen back, was down to this deep place of our thinking patterns. The way that we perceive the world around us, the, the, um, the rationales and the logic that we hold in our own mind. The reasoning that we go through when we are engaged in confrontation with people or the reasoning we engage in as we look out at the broader society around us and critique different parts of it. There are parts to critique, certainly. But James is saying what takes place in the mind shapes the heart and out of the heart, the body is directed. You are directed, I am directed. So he's interested in getting to the roots, to the inner life of things, not just external behavior management. What James is aiming at is the stuff, that, the place that produces the problem in our life, not just managing the problem. So far more than just telling us to be better and more disciplined, James, in these previous verses from last week, brought us to the source of our struggles. And the source of our struggles are unholy internal speech patterns that take place in our thought life, which influences our heart, then influences our speech. James 3.13, which we just read, if you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Again, we have to tread this line here. Um, James is not just talking about entering into an exercise of human effort or achievement. As James would say, faith without works is dead, but so are works without faith. Anybody can be disciplined. You don't need God to be disciplined. You don't need God to watch your tongue. You don't need God to lead a disciplined life. Anybody can do that. 
That's not the issue for James. The issue is what is the source of your life that's driving the direction of your life? So here in 3.13, James is speaking to anyone now who considers themselves wise and prides themselves in their wisdom. He's probably also speaking to those that he started chapter three with who thought that they wanted to be teachers. So if you think you're wise and you wanna have a voice, you wanna have influence, you wanna kinda carry some clout on social media, on, on these online spaces or in your family or in your community, if you think you're wise, listen up. He says, first of all, prove it. That word for prove means to demonstrate, establish, or find by experience. So what James is saying here, again, is not just like get down, get disciplined, work hard, do more good than bad, and hopefully the scales will tip in that way. What he's saying here and what he's calling to is you, you say you're wise, fine, reveal it. Reveal it. Bring it out. Let me see what's really in your heart. Don't cover it up. Don't pretend. Don't play Sunday Christian about it. Don't edit everything so that it's the best of you. If you think you're wise, let the real stuff out. Be real. Be authentic. Let what's in your heart really come out. And we'll see then if that's wisdom. That's what James is exhorting us too in his first readers. He's saying, prove it by living an honorable life. So James is rooting wisdom in an honorable life. To live an honorable life means to have a good reputation, to walk with respect for others, to be respected by others, to walk in purity and have integrity. That's what being honorable means for James. So for James, wisdom isn't rooted in what you know. That's kind of like, so we have a, a modern uh, Greek Hellenistic education system that weights everything in the attainment of knowledge and intellect. And James is saying that's not where actual wisdom is found. This is not found in how many Bible verses you've memorized and you know. Wisdom isn't found in the doctrine or theology that you can espouse and quote. That's not where wisdom is found. Wisdom is found and demonstrated in your character. That's what James is talking about. You can know, you know, there, have you ever met? I've met people that have met, memorized large chunks of scripture. And yet for some reason in their interaction with that, they're angry and they're impatient and they're volatile. They're frustrated and annoyed with people. There's no wisdom in gaining knowledge on its own. James is saying wisdom is tethered to character. Again, James is moving beyond the external and into the deep places of the heart. James continues on, uh, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Notice how James says good works with the humility, not good works through discipline. Again, James is rooting wisdom in character and he's rooting wisdom in godly character. 
So the focus for James in this whole section is wisdom that is revealed through godly character. Again, with this idea of works, James is not just simply talking about human achievement of creating a, a ledger of your life and having more good than bad. He's not talking about areas of human achievement or discipline. Again, anyone can do good things or be disciplined. Many people do. James is talking about the source of your living. What is the source of your life? And in this passage, he goes on to talk about the reality that there are two primary sources for wisdom. And one comes from above, from God, and the other comes from below. And ultimately, it has demonic origin. You can carry both kinds of wisdom. And James is trying to kind of flush out through um, this example here, through these illustrations, he's trying to flush out what is the source of your life? What is driving the direction of your life? What is driving the significant things of your life? What James is talking about is our need, together, our need to live from a different source. And that source is wisdom that comes from God, the kind of wisdom that's from above. So here in this passage and through the whole book of James, what he is most interested in is being connected to God. Where James is going with all of these examples and all of these illustrations is he's trying to, to um, challenge us. He's trying to admonish us to live a life where our greatest pursuit is for the presence of God. Our, our greatest longing is to be close to God, is to be connected to him. He later on says it, we'll cover it, when he says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. He's the source of all wisdom. Everything you need for the decisions you face come from him. And James isn't saying, work really hard and discipline yourself so you can try hard. He's saying, get connected to the right source. And when you get connected to the right source, it begins to reshape your life and it begins to reform your values and reform uh, your character. When you get connected to the right source, then the fruit of your life begins to change. But don't try and change the fruit from the external. Don't try and tape you know, an apricot onto a grapevine. That's so often what we do in the Christian life. It's like, oh, I, I need to take you know, this, this next Bible study. And we try and graft it on and we try and tack on just good disciplined practice as Christians. And James is saying, that's not gonna lead you to life. What you need is to be reconnected to the source of life. You need to be reconnected to the presence of God so that he can shape you into a fundamentally different person. So then the good works, the, the things that are expressed from your life aren't just coming from human effort. They're the fruit of the Spirit's work in you. They're the activity of God reforming and shaping you from the inside out. That's what James is calling us to. And James is using wisdom now as a way to get our attention. 
James in this passage is contrasting what it's like to be driven by the character, the humility that comes from God or the character that is shaped by a heart filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Let's just review that. If you're bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Again, James is saying like, let's get rid of the fluff. Stop pretending. Stop saying the right things. Stop giving these Christian answers that make you appear mature when in fact in your heart there's a raging fire of bitterness and selfish ambition, when the stuff of your heart is toxic and poisonous. So often our temptation, and those of us who have walked with God the longest face this in the most extreme. We come into this place and we put this persona on. We know the right answers. We know the right way to pray so that other people around us feel you know, like, oh, he, you know, he knows what he's doing. James is saying, that's nonsense. That's garbage. Stop it. Stop trying to cover up what's actually going on deep in your heart and in your soul. He wants to expose it, not to shame you or to shame me or to shame us. He's not looking to just kind of out these people to make an example of them. He wants to expose this because Jesus is the only one that can transform the heart of humanity. He's the only one that can step into those places of bitterness and selfish ambition, which James is using here, and heal and restore those. Trying to cover it up with Christian talk and language and, you know, I only listen to WDCX and all that stuff. None of that is actually effective. You can listen to all the preachers you want. That won't change your heart. Only the activity of Jesus in a very real way can do that. That, by the way, is why we're hosting Soul Care Conference here in June. It's a huge thrust of that conference is to get deep and seek renewal and revival in the heart of our lives. That word jealousy there, there are a couple possible meanings of this. Jealousy in scripture is sometimes good when it's God being jealous of us. And sometimes, always when it's talked about from a human perspective, it's negative. When scripture talks about God's jealousy, it's righteous and it's good. Um, but jealousy is a strong feeling of possessiveness. It's a self-destructive human emotion that's similar to envy. But that word zealous, which is the Greek word behind our English word jealous, zealous carries a whole different connotation. In the Greek, what James is actually saying is don't be filled with bitter zeal, with zeal that's toxic. And here James could be speaking to teachers specifically because we're still linked into that teachers who teach with a bitter zeal. Here's a quote from Scott McKnight on this. This term is often used to describe those who are willing to muster the courage to root out the unfaithful and the cowardly. And you can think of Phineas in Numbers who acted in zeal, Elijah, 
the Maccabean revolution that happened in the intertestamental period, that James describes zeal as bitter, suggests that the teachers, at least as he's portraying them, were ferocious, emotively expressive, harsh, and angry. Paul applies the same term to speech in Romans 3.14. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. What the proponents here may see as fidelity and unrelenting commitment. Just think about that. What James's contemporaries see in their own lives and in the lives of others as fidelity. I'm just being faithful. I, I'm, I'm the real Christian here in the group. That's kind of the thought process. I'm the only one. Like all of you others, you're compromised. You've sold out. Thank you. You've sold out. So what the proponents here see as fidelity and unrelenting commitment is seen by James as verbal fanaticism and ferocity with negative ends, including a domineering partisanship. However foreign it may be to the Western Christian world, we should not ignore the, possible, the possibility that physical violence is involved in James's language. James is saying even your zeal can become bitter. When your zeal is tainted with derogatory insult, when your zeal is tainted, my zeal, when it's tainted with arrogance and pride, uh, a puffing up of myself in the, you know, in the circles that I imagine myself to run in. When your zeal is tainted with the fruit of the kingdom of darkness instead of the kingdom of God, when it's tainted with anger and impatience, when it's tainted with judgment and you're hurling insult and judgment, James is saying, watch out. That kind of wisdom is not coming from above. We have a great challenge in our day. Can somebody open that for me? <laughs> for those listening online, I'm trying to open a water bottle. See, it's really hard. All right. Okay, I have a, uh, okay, great, thank you. All right, that's better. So this is a way for us to evaluate. To evaluate not just the content, whether it's true or not, or whether it agrees with us, but what is the character that's actually behind this? Is this bitter zeal? Is this rooted in jealousy? Is this rooted in a possessiveness that is not godly? So James is going after here. Again, James is driving to the heart. What is driving what you call wisdom in your life? Proverbs 14.30 says this in contrast, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body, but jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Proverbs 27.4, anger is cruel and wrath is like a flood, but jealousy, zeal, is even more dangerous. Our zeal, if we're not evaluating the proper metric, the fruit, our zeal can become dangerous. It then becomes a tool of the enemy of God, not of the kingdom of God. 
Jesus was the most zealous man who ever walked the face of the earth. He was the most jealous for the Father's presence in his life. But that zeal didn't come across in destructive, bitterness, divisive, you know, shouting down people. That zeal came across with humility and gentleness as James is about to describe. First Corinthians 3, 1 to 3. This is Paul, dear brothers and sisters. When I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like the people of the world? 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient, love is and kind, love is not jealous or boastful or proud. See, here's the thing for all of us, and I'm, I'm in this boat with you. These are hard things for us to grapple with. These, these penetrate into very vulnerable areas in our heart and in our life, but God has called us to be shaped and formed by Scripture, not to just stand over Scripture with the verses we like that prove our point and make us feel more powerful. James's point here is to hit right to the heart and say, hey, would you, would you humble yourself and take a few minutes to allow the Spirit to examine your heart? Would you receive this correction? There's correction in here that we need to hear. There's correction in here that the church over COVID needs to hear. The question is, would we humble ourselves enough to receive that correction? According to scripture, jealousy is the opposite of love. And a heart filled with bitter jealousy is not a heart filled with love for others. And therefore, not a heart that's operating with godly wisdom. He uses another descriptive term, selfish ambition, which is a self-centered concern for oneself without due regard for the needs of others. Paul uses these in groupings of things that we would call sin. Areas of, of a brokenness and corruption in our inner life. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, he says this, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Yeah, no doubt. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious and here lies the rub for all of us. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So according to James, both bitter jealousy and selfish ambition indicate a heart 
that is consumed with self and self-promotion over and above others. They indicate a heart that is absolutely fixated on having my needs met, on having my desires fulfilled, on having me be right in this confrontation, me being the victim, me being the one who's being, you know, unfairly treated. They, everything keeps coming back to me, 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 me. And James is saying a heart that is consumed with these things is not receiving godly source. That source, James says, is demonic and worldly, not godly. Then James now shifts to the identifiers of the why. So if those are some indicators of having a worldly wisdom or a demonic wisdom, he now shifts. James 13, 17, and 18. But wisdom from above is first of all pure. He now breaks down the list. There's seven characteristics that he isolates here. Wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So James here is describing the manifestation of wisdom, again, in these agricultural terms, these, this harvest term. What you plant, what you sow, you will reap. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. If you sow bitterness and jealousy and selfish ambition, you're going to reap the fruit of that. And that doesn't come from wisdom that's from above, that is from the world. The question for James, again, is what are you sowing into your inner life? What are you sowing into the, the deep places of your life? What are you sowing into your heart? And what you're sowing into your heart is revealed by the thought patterns that you entertain about the people around you, about the areas of conflict you're in, about the world around you, the, the thought, logic, reason patterns that you just circle back on over and over. You loop them over and over and over again. The victim mentality and the, the, you know, all of the dysfunctional stuff of our culture that loops over and over again, that becomes the seed that you're planting in the soil of your heart. And that's going to produce nothing that comes from the kingdom of God. It's all coming from the kingdom of darkness. So here, our tendency would be to then just create a list of these qualifications. James isolated seven. Let's make a list and let's try really hard, really hard to do those and be better at it and do good with it. But that's not what James is saying. You know, often we, again, we evaluate ourselves. Oh, was I gentle enough with that conversation? Oh, shoot, I'm going to have to come back to that one. Am I, uh, am I filled with gentleness and peace? Was I persuadable enough? Or was I too aggressive? And we evaluate the external, but this is not helpful. James is going to the heart of the issue. What is the source that you're tapped into in your life? So the answer for James is in greater discipline alone but it's on a prioritization to build intimacy with Jesus. 
to increase your capacity to steward and carry the presence of God in your life. James is going right for the heart of the issue. It's not just be more disciplined, have more lists and things to do properly. What he's really asking is what is the priority of your time and are you connected into the presence of God in your life? Are you connected into him in a meaningful way? So instead of trying to be better with our responses, we need to go to the root and invest in cultivating the right kind of soil in our heart. What are you cultivating in the inner places of your life? What kind of soil is there? What are you planting in that soil of your heart? Are you planting things that are coming from the presence of God or are you just you know, kind of gathering a mishmash of stuff that you find around you? Stuff given to you by culture or family or tradition or whatever it is. What is going into the soil of your heart? What James is bringing us to here is our need to immerse ourselves in the presence of God so that his presence can reshape the soil of our heart, which then produces a life filled with goodness, good works. What kind of food are you feeding on spiritually? James is calling us to be connected to God who is the source of all wisdom and life. He's calling us to draw near to God so that we too will become people of godly wisdom connected to the real source of wisdom. So for James, ultimately true wisdom is the fruit of a life that is deeply connected to the source of wisdom, to God. It's not about what you know. It's not about attaining more information. It's being deeply connected to God who is the source of life. So how do we do that? I wanna close with this. As a church, we're gonna keep talking over and over about this. I feel like a broken record, but that's just the way it is. How do we do that? You follow the model and example of Jesus. How did he live his life? Not just what did he say, how did he live? How did he structure his life so that he grew into the, a man of wisdom? Hebrews said that he had to grow into a man of wisdom and stature. His character had to be formed and shaped in the same way that yours and mine does. Jesus faced every human limitation that you and I face, all of them, he lived into them. That's Philippians 2, when he humbled himself, he decided to take his God credentials and his right to just be God. He laid it aside in humility and he said in effect to the Father, Father, I will accept and receive every limitation of humanity, every struggle that they face in knowing you, in living for you, in being filled with your presence and your spirit. I will accept every one of those limitations. 
I'll go through the same means that they have to in order to meet with you, to cultivate a life of your presence. That's what Jesus did in humbling himself. He accepted every human limitation that you have. Therefore, for me and you, there's no excuse. Jesus is our model. So what did he do? As a church, we've isolated three dominant characteristics of his life. Number one, Jesus came under scripture. You and I need to come under scripture in order for the soil of our heart to be cultivated into godly soil. We have to come under it. We humble ourselves under it. We, we receive its correction and its rebuke and its guidance and its, its imposition on our life. We allow scripture to direct our lives. That's what Jesus did. He brought himself under scripture. So are you doing that in your life? This is what Jesus modeled. This is what he's left us as an example. Are you regularly bringing your life under scripture? Is that a regular rhythm in your life to actually sit with the word of God, to not only read it and study it, but to chew on it and to meditate on it, to allow what it says to challenge you and confront you and cause discomfort in you as you wrestle with its meaning and its impact for your life? Are you willing to do that? That is like the rototiller of the soil of the heart. It breaks our hardness and our pride and our arrogance and our self-dependence. Number two, Jesus regularly engaged in rhythms of spiritual practice. Why do we talk about spiritual practices so often? Because Jesus did them. He regularly withdrew to lonely places. Jesus practiced the practice of solitude and isolation, being alone, away from the noise. If he would have had a smartphone, put it down, turn it off, get out of the noise of life and get to a place where you could actually have a fighting chance to hear the heart and the voice of God for your life. Jesus was intentional with it. It didn't just kind of land on his lap. He structured his schedule around it. He structured ministry. Do you realize all of the ministry that Jesus engaged in was fed out of his times of loneliness and connection to God in the wilderness? How many times do we hear he walked out of the wilderness after being alone with the Father all night and then went into like a full day of ministry over and over and over again? That was the fuel of his life. He was putting himself in the place where the presence of God could meet him and transform him. The practices are not just so that we get good at doing things. There's no glory or merit in fasting in and of itself or reading scripture or prayer or silence and solitude, meditating. There's no, there's no value in, in and of themselves. What they do is they put you in a position where you now say, I am here, God. I'm drawing near to you. Would you draw near to me? Would you transform me by your power and your presence? I'm here. And Jesus made that a regular rhythm of his life. What is your daily, weekly, monthly rhythm? How much time do you carve out to be alone with Jesus, away from the distractions of work and life and 
I'm not talking about, you don't have to go all night, you know, to Mount Carmel or to, you know, drive the streets by yourself all night. You can just take 10 minutes, 15 minutes, start easy. Start with five, for goodness sakes. Wake up a little bit early, start with five minutes before the house gets busy. And see what God does in your life with that time that you set aside for him. When you say, I'm here for you, Father. I'm drawing near to you. Would you draw near to me and begin to transform me? And number three, thing that Jesus modeled is he lived in dependence on the Holy Spirit's gifts and power. He didn't operate out of just what he could do. He was totally dependent on what he was hearing from the Father in his times of intimacy with him. Do you see how these things connect and drive the direction of your life? But if you're never meeting with God intentionally, how are you gonna be led by him? How am I gonna be led by him? Jesus lived dependent on the Holy Spirit's gifting and power. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have surrendered your life to him, the Holy Spirit is in you. You don't have a junior Holy Spirit or a kid's version or the idiot's guide to the Holy Spirit or the dummy's book of the Holy Spirit. You don't have that. You have the full meal deal, the same Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. So you have the same spirit and he's living in you. And he has gifts. He's created you from before the foundation of the earth. He said, this is my son. This is my daughter. I have a calling on their life. And I have supernatural gifts to empower them to live out that calling. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and gifts after Easter. He's calling you to not just live out of your human capacity, but to learn how to hear the voice of God, to be connected to him, and then to step out in trust and in faith and dependence where the stakes are high, where when you fall, you crash. But that's okay because we do it as the whole church together. You know, with every spiritual gift, there's a a progression of learning that is assumed in all of them. We need to actually give space and grace for each other to learn to live in a greater dependency on the Holy Spirit. There are gifts of his in you that he's wanting to stir up and to light into fire, to fan the flame of those things so that you can walk out in the kingdom authority and power of Jesus. These are the things that Jesus did in his life. That's why as a church, our mandate is to ignite a deep hunger and longing for the presence of Jesus in your life and in mine. That's not a one-time thing. That's like an everyday thing. Every day I come to Jesus virtually every day and say, Jesus, I'm hungry for you. I want to know you more. May my life be driven by your presence. Expand my capacity to carry your gifts and your kingdom. I want to be a good steward of the things that you've entrusted to me. That's what I feel my role as a pastor is actually not just to do everything, but to expand my capacity to steward his gifts in the body. And we want to move more in that direction. Those three things, not the pursuit of a list 
where you're just beating yourself up day after day because you're not achieving. Those three things, those are the things that cultivate the soil of your heart and lead to a life of wisdom and godly character. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, we... First of all, I'm so thankful, Jesus, for your patience and your unfailing love. It's easy to talk about these things in a way, but it's really hard to live them. And I'm so thankful that you don't give up on us when we stumble when our life doesn't look the way we thought it should or the way we would even want it to in relation to our spiritual life, I thank you for your grace and your patience, that you are filled with unfailing love and kindness and compassion. Father, I pray out of that space that you would invite us, your people, to be a people who cultivate the, the, the heart of our lives, the soil of the heart of our lives, to be a people who cultivate it with the presence of God, who cultivate nearness to God, who cultivate the soil of our heart so that our life can be a life where wisdom from God flows from it, where good things come, where the kingdom of God comes to bear on the earth around us in our families and in our schools and in our workplaces and the places that we... we um, the sports fields and arenas and the places we walk. Father, uh, guard us from just even after today from slipping into like the, the lists and the rules and the external discipline, but teach us to be a people who drive to your presence, who, who fight for it, who, who practice the things that Jesus himself practiced. That's the kind of church we want to be. And so we just ask, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take my words, that you would breathe life on the ones that you want to, and that you would just kill the ones that you don't. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just breathe hope into every heart here, that there is a greater a greater relationship that can satisfy the very deepest longings of their soul and of their heart and that you're inviting them into deeper water with you. You're inviting them into deeper places of greater work and greater measures of your spirit's activity in life. Father, I pray that um, you would just continue to teach us and instruct us this week with this part of your word. Amen. Amen.